0: Welcome to episode 20 of MADE, the podcast about purpose-driven design, making, and manufacturing. Today we're going to be talking about when projects fail. Let's continue the conversation. Welcome back everyone to MADE. With me, as always, is Claudia Berrigan. Hello, Ray Pena. How you doing? And I am Jose Valcarcel. Two in a row. <laughs> After taking a bit of a break, my mom reminded me that it's that we missed two weeks. She said, "She's like, oh, oh okay. you guys made it sound like you only missed a week. You missed two weeks." Um, yeah,
1: she just wanted to. She just wanted to point out that you were wrong.
0: Exactly. She just loves pointing <laughs> out when I'm wrong. But uh, yeah, no, or when yeah.
1: you failed. When oh, I failed. Yeah. That's <laughs> <about. laughs> speaking of your mom uh, you told me she got her her little medallions
0: yes she did and uh, and it's been a debate over there as to whether she should paint them or not or they should just leave them the way they are because um, she's working on some st- they so they're like little i don't even know what to call them anybody that's
1: i would call them medallions but yeah i, I guess
0: they're medallions anybody that's that's ever gotten a michael kors bag which i had no idea this is this was a thing it comes, I guess, with a little medallion that has the M and the K inside of a circle, and it's attached with a leather strap, it's almost like a keychain for your purse. Um, yeah. So since they're having yeah, of a course, a family...
1: purse keychain naturally. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a purse keychain yeah.
0: because you need one yeah. of those in case you lose your purse. <laughs> you know, you can't find your it's, purse. You, it, you lose key your chain. keys with it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they're having uh, this reunion from her old high school. So uh, you know, I drew up their logo real quick, and then Ray cut it on the. On the lay on the lay, on the, the water jet area. over there <laughs> out of was that aluminum it was aluminum right
1: yeah 8th inch aluminum, yeah,
0: yeah, eight inch aluminum, and uh, so another her idea had been that they were going to paint try and paint them like they were metal like they were gold or whatever, um, but, but everybody metal, yeah, but everybody was telling her that her like they look at the way they are so.
1: Yeah, what you didn't notice is I took and I brushed finished those. Oh, okay. So they right. got out what, a very that's
0: nice brush finish. Was yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that's even, that's even why. So she's, you know, we. I think she only needed like twelve, but we cut fifteen for her, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that way she could practice on one. So she's been practicing on one, but I think they're leaning towards just maybe doing like a like a clear seal on it or something. Yeah, that'll be a good idea. Yeah. So. Yeah
2: she's been asking everyone about it too, like right. all of her sisters who are also quite handy.
0: Yeah well, her youngest sister specifically Elsa, she uh, she is a seamstress. so they're they're also sewing this sort of carry bags that are going to be attached totes, totes that are going be attached to this medallion. So yeah, so there's a whole project that's going on over there. She said she send us a picture once it's done. So maybe we'll put well, that I up on the it, yeah we'll put that up on the group.
1: Yeah, and you have the the picture that I sent you right after yeah. it was cut. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So like a before and after. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah.
0: So yeah, we'll see how it turns out. Um, what else is going
1: on with you guys? Nothing. Uh, not much. It's good to be back. Uh, it's good to be uh, back to work, cause uh, you know I was out for so long. Yeah. yeah. And it's good to get videos, uh, making videos again. Exactly. Yeah. Cool.
3: That's
2: awesome that you like doing it. Yeah. Very cool.
0: Um, yeah, just same, same old, same. same old, yeah. Yeah, in the same way, I've got, I mean, I've had stuff going on, but it's neither relevant nor interesting, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we should just, uh, we can we can just move on. <laughs> Great. Um, uh, so, the topic that we're going to talk about is a little bit unstructured, so I think we should, we're we just going to go ahead and skip past news, and while we have some new stuff we want to talk about, maybe we'll save that for next week, and uh, let's just get to the main topic. Okay. You guys cool Great. with that? Cool. Yep. All right. Cool. So let's get to our main topic today, and our main topic for the day is going to be when projects fail. Now, when we say when projects fail, we don't necessarily mean that you know you a project didn't go well and you abandoned it for the rest of life, right? Right. Right.
1: Right. right. I, I think that it's one of those interesting things uh, because we always focus on on things that go right. Right. Yeah, and if you are making stuff, uh, you probably have things go wrong more often than go right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Or at least, uh, you know, though, as you mentioned, a very seldom does it go according to plan. Right,
0: great. And I know, I think when we first thought about putting this on something to talk about, Claudia, you had attended a conference, right? That was all about projects or failing, you
2: know how things failed. Yes, it's called uh, The Fail Fest. Mm-hmm. And they have it now in different places, um, like it's just major metropolitan cities, and it's predominantly from um, international development uh, professionals and their work on IT mm-hmm. or like um, uh, what would you call it? It's DC four D. So it's it's basically the, any 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 apps that they create or any new programs that they try to institute that are tech involved. So, um, you know, like just using drones or using different types of technology, GPS systems and stuff like that. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, but what's interesting is the reason why they have this fail test the fail fest is because, um, a lot of money gets involved and you know, gets donated, gets not donated, it gets funded, Mm -hmm. uh, from USAID, USAID, and just various federal agencies right to solve major problems of uh, the developing world and a lot of the times those projects fail you know massively um, some examples could be like um, a like a banking system in, in, in in Mexico or something like that, that, you know, it's, like, specifically geared towards women, right? And, like, it's mainly, you know, mainly, like, financing um, homeownership, you know, or, like, credit, you know, and that particular community doesn't even allow women to own land or work or, so there's other issues that are more prevalent. And, you know, they may have, like, this app that's going to help the financing, you know, like, improve the financing for, like, young women.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, like, there's a high percentage of them that lack education. Mm-hmm. Right? So those are big failures.
0: Right. And, um, because they clearly didn't know, they didn't do enough research to see what they were bringing into,
3: into, into the, what
0: kind of scenarios.
2: Yeah. So... So the way that they do the, the the reason why they do they have this fail test the fail fast is that they'll say well what did we learn from this that we can actually take away and say well had we done something else um, had we done more research analysis or maybe then a, an actual census analysis or crowd based ask surveys mm-hmm. you know then the funding would have been better used. But the fact that we failed helped us find what the actual issue was. Mm-hmm. So that's why they embrace fail,
1: um, failing mm-hmm. much right. further.
0: And that's sort of the old adage, right? That you learn more from your failures than you do your successes, right? That's what people say.
1: Yeah, and I think that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah, that's like big picture failure is what, what you, uh, Claudia was mentioning. And it's interesting that they would have a celebration of failure uh, because they've recognized that you don't just push them under the rug. Uh, it's important to, to uh, make sure you realize those lessons learned. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in manufacturing is the same thing. I, I have yet to have a single project come in the door that did not have something go wrong with it in the middle of manufacturing. And it's, it, you think it's so weird. Well, you have all this uh, equipment, this machinery, you have all the, uh, the computer technology. But a lot of times the failure is in communication. In mm-hmm. the shop, no matter how clear I think I am with the guys uh, when I convey the nature of the project or the the, uh, the steps that are involved in, in making either if it's building a machine or a part, uh, something gets missed. And sometimes it's just a <laughs> tiny detail. Mm-hmm. And that tiny detail causes a... A series of events that you either you have to scrap everything you've done and start again or if it's a irreplaceable component that the, cl- the client has supplied an irreplaceable part yeah. and they told you there's only one of these and I can't get another one <laughs> yeah so whenever that happens uh, we have to stop we regroup we, we learned that mistake so we don't do it again and uh, now we have to fix uh, fix the issue and Make sure that it works correctly for the uh, for the client. So I would say on on a daily basis, on a daily basis, there's a mistake that happens in the shop. Uh, either it, sometimes it's a decimal place, sometimes it's not understanding the big picture. Um, but I would say most of the time, it's uh, I would put it on my own shoulders for failure to communicate clearly. Now, on the other hand, sometimes I communicate very clearly and I put it on paper and they don't read it no. so and i even say it and they put it on paper and then they ignore it mm-hmm. so then there's a there's another aspect of failure but uh whenever they do that they kind of learn well the next time he writes something down i gotta make sure to read every little bit of it mm-hmm. but uh and, and even on a personal note uh did you guys see the boat my living room boat yeah mm-hmm. yeah I've seen that yeah. yeah so did you see it in the living room
0: right Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so, so for our listeners who may not be aware, and uh, we can p- always put a link to this uh, in the notes. Uh, I started building a wooden boat in the living room, uh, and for our listeners who like to build stuff, that may be married, and you know your your significant other would probably frown upon building something of this scale. It's a twelve foot boat. <laughs> I build in the room. Uh, the way you you accomplish the task is you don't ask permission. Yeah you don't ask permission. you just do it and then when they come in there is a giant thing in the living room and they kinda have to wait it out until you're finished <laughs> so that would be my advice don't ask for permission uh, ask for forgiveness later yeah. and uh, yeah it's a lot a lot a lot easier <laughs> So especially if you know the answer is gonna be no <clears throat> you just go ahead and do it
0: so anyway that's also a failure in communication is what I mean. absolutely
1: but uh, but in your favor Yeah. Um well it's so funny it uh, oh go ahead no well i was going to bring up this particular uh issue because it just happened over mm-hmm. the weekend so uh so far everything with the boat was went through as planned everything was perfect every aspect that i planned uh to build this went perfect so it has uh I'm working on a section of the bow that has uh, on the bottom that has to be mirrored. So one side has to be the same as the other side. Mm-hmm. I did the first side, it was perfect. It, without any issue whatsoever, the material did exactly what it was supposed to do. So I took a, a piece of plywood and I twisted it and, and forced it into a cone shape. I went to do the other side, and because everything went so perfectly the first time, mm-hmm. I didn't notice that the material was not behaving in the same way that it did previously. Um, and so, by the time I got done, there was a, there was a, a, an issue, a mistake, that then I spent half a day fixing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if I if that had happened first, I would have caught it and made sure it didn't happen again. But because it happened the second time and not the first time, yeah. I didn't. I wasn't able to learn from the experience. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, then I had to fix it because it was already locked in. Right. Yeah, right. So, yeah, definitely the failure is more valuable than a success.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and it's interesting because as you were talking about sort of the failure in communication, it reminds me of some of the issues we have at work where some of the failures aren't necessarily, you know, we're building people's homes. So you would think that failure is when the house fell down, you know, but yeah. that, that's not what we do, something measures a failure in, in other times because we're also a, we're the same build firm. We also build a lot of the houses that we're designing. We see some of the failures or the things that we need to fix down the line as some issues in communication as well. Is whether you know we put this in the drawings and they were expecting this on the field or whatever. Um, yeah. But we still, you know, we're losing the money because we're the builders. You know, that yes. comes out of our pockets when something is inaccurate. You know, one of the issues that came up is because of the software we use. We're using Revit. Whenever we put a door, from the design point of view, put a door into an existing wall, the demo drawing automatically recognizes that and shows this piece of wall being demolished. Right? Uh-huh. Simple enough. But when we're putting a pocket door in a wall, the demo plan recognizes where the door goes as being demolished, but not the area that the door pockets into as needing to be demolished.
1: Uh-huh.
0: You know, so like today I got a call from one of the guys in the field and he's like, um, you know your demo plan doesn't show that we need to demo for the pocket door, and again, it's it's sort of a thing of how the software recognizes that sort of thing. So it's something now we got to take back and and sort of try and figure out on our design point of view. You know they have to go back and do more demolition after the fact when they were already installing yeah. doors. You know, but so it's a failure in some ways. Again, the a failure in communication it's not it's not necessarily a critical failure.
1: Yeah, but you're gonna remember it
0: right exactly
1: the next time this issue comes up you're going to go and double check that
0: right so i think that's sort of part of this discussion is sort of the levels of failure i think when a lot of people think oh if they're talking about failure that means this thing completely went wrong and that's not necessarily the case because sometimes you learn from the little mistakes that still give you an item or give you a a
1: finished result yeah right yeah i think i think failure has different levels of measurement right and uh, I think when something still works, but not exactly how you thought it would or intended mm-hmm. it to, uh, I think that qualifies as a failure, but a functional failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, and, and I think that the issue fundamentally is that failures do happen, and uh, we need to realize that, and then use them as opportunities. Some people, uh, and we have a gentleman in our shop that doesn't work anymore, whenever he did come across a problem or a failure, He would uh, get nervous, angry, and then just leave in the middle of the day. It was very odd. Just Just honestly, and I, I, you know, go look for him to see how he's coming on the project. And that was it. He was gone. And he didn't have personal coping skills to understand that failure is is perfectly normal um, and to learn from it. So he would just walk away. The failure was still there. And, uh, you know, either I had to fix it or put somebody else on it, mm-hmm. and he would come in the next day, and, the, and it would be fixed, and he absolutely didn't learn anything from the experience. Right. So, um, I don't know. I, I think that might be a, a sign of the generational gap mm-hmm. uh, that exists, you know, from the, uh, and, and I know you guys have read articles, the, uh, you know, the participation trophy mm-hmm. uh, generation. <laughs> right. you, know, as, you showed up. Here's a trophy. Congratulations. Uh, they're having a very hard time understanding that not everybody wins. You're ne- you know, there, there's always going to be somebody stronger, faster, and smarter. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> you, you know, just showing up isn't enough. <laughs> right. And so, getting an F is a learning experience. Mm-hmm. You know, coming in last is a learning experience. Right.
2: Well That's an interesting thing because, like, if, when you think about failure in terms of school,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? You know exactly when you failed right when you're failing there's no doubt there's yeah. no doubt because you're getting you know you're you know you're getting a d you know you're getting an f right and there's specific reasons why why you ended up getting a d or an f it's because you failed to take that test or failed to submit that homework or failed to
1: to put, per, in, the to put in the
2: effort yep. of, for that particular project or participate so there's very specific See? I kind of disagree with that because <laughs> as as a very overachiever would <laughs> say. Okay, yeah. So I, I didn't. I,
0: it's not like I was getting bad grades when I was going to school, but is the ultimate test of whether you failed or succeeded at school what grade you get, or if you know whatever five years in the road you still remember that information that you learned something.
2: So.
1: So it's perspective to me.
2: Well, again, that's that's somewhat of a privilege, right? Because. Um,
1: yeah, but isn't the grade the indicator of whether or not you learned it?
2: Exactly. And, and and that's how you move, you progress into the next level and the next level and the next level, right? Because you have to be able to monitor your progress in some sort of way.
0: Okay, but how many people have gotten A's in Spanish class and can't speak a word of Spanish anymore?
1: It's. Speak- well, I think you're talking about like a Spanish class in Minnesota that no one has ever... Okay. it's actually heard naturally spoken spanish or
2: or has the ability though. to have practice right see i, I mean I, see, I get what
1: you guys are
0: saying i just i don't know so Maybe. well
2: well where, where i was getting where mm-hmm. i was going was that either we we're we can't argue that that's how the school system works right, right? No, that we're not arguing mm-hmm. okay so and it may not be a working functioning system, but that's how the school system works. So it basically sets goals for yourself, Mm -hmm. right? And whether you achieve those goals or not, which is the big question. If you're you're taking Spanish and your goal is to just pass, Mm -hmm. then you're going to pass it. But if your goal was to learn Spanish and be able to be proficient in it, you can still pass, but then actually be proficient with it, right? So it's a Mm -hmm. personal assessment of what you would do with your goal with how you would fail or who you wouldn't fail
0: right that's why i was saying it's a matter of perspective to a degree but i get what you're saying
2: but i think it's like an equalizer right because Mm -hmm. that's what happens to to i think for for those for those of us who are more creative right um like at least to me what happened was that once i left that structure the structure setting of understanding what failure meant and what success meant based on school like getting an a or an f then when you get to the university or when you start even working, working in you know, the working environment, you have to set those, mm-hmm. that structure for yourself. Right. And it starts, or, or others set the, that for you based on your job. Mm-hmm. But if it's a personal project for you, like I had a hard time, like I always strive for perfection. Mm-hmm. Right. So then, Therefore, you know, I'm, I'm such a, you know, striver for that A. Mm-hmm. And the my level of risk is a lot lower. Like, I never, you know, it's hard for me to take those risks because I don't want to fail in them.
0: See, I have a word for what you describe, And I heard it, I've heard it in in photography. And I think it carries on to what we're talking about, the creative endeavor, the, the, the design part of it or whatever. And that's the creative gap, right? It's what... You, You wanted it to look like and what it actually ended up looking like Mm -hmm. right so you still ended up with a thing but in your mind's eye it's not what you had intended to be
3: Mm
0: -hmm. right so that's called the creative gap
2: yeah Mm -hmm. and and then you know that can swing
1: either way couldn't it right it can be successful or Mm -hmm. it could fail you could love it or hate it right or it came out better or came out worse than you Mm -hmm. anticipated
0: and it's not necessarily a reflection of your skills or your proficiency in those skills because it's more of a reflection of what your initial intention was, right? You could be great at, you know, machining. You could be great at designing. You could be great at photography or whatever. But you still may not end up with the thing you had initially envisioned.
3: Mhm. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, I, I think don't... that
1: that happens. Right. At least to me, that happens every mm-hmm. single day. That just happened Every to me.
0: Time... That just happened to me over the weekend, and I'm holding the thing that I was working on. I'll talk about it.
1: Oh when, yeah, I saw when, that when mm-hmm. we
0: discussed the what are we working on. But the thing that I ended up with this weekend was not exactly what I had envisioned to begin with. That's why the project's not done. I still ended up with something that I'm using. So it failed. But are you, uh, yeah, I learned something from it. But I ended up with a thing. Still, mm-hmm.
2: you know. And what's interesting, I mean, because I, I. I have a lot of schooling mm. under me, and Ray can definitely attest to yeah, that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Right. Don't don't get me started. So let
2: me. Like I have a lot <laughs> of schooling underneath me, and it's funny that I think that, pro, as far as design is concerned, and even after so much learning, and you know, within the architectural process, and then actually practicing architecture or design, urban design in the context that I was doing. I think when I learned about design thinking and I learned about the process that we were going through mm-hmm. from somebody else's perspective, right? It's them seeing it as the way to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And when I saw where prototyping fit into that process, that's when I realized that, oh, I don't have to do everything perfect,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? I don't have to meet every single goal as set by, the, by my boss, which is then set by the, um, by the client. Right. Had I thought about this from an outside the box perspective and prototyped it, and based on the prototype, I would fail hmm. or succeed or something even better comes up, or I can rethink the whole process, then the final product would be even better. Right. right? So it's interesting because you can, you know, you, I, I can attest to that, that I've been, I, you know, had been working for at least More than you know, like half a day, half a yeah, half a half a dozen years, in architecture, and I hadn't really experienced prototyping as it should have been, as far as designers are concerned, because I kept on thinking of it from a perspective of it has to be done perfect, and it has to meet all of the all of the parameters that are set forth by the client.
1: Well, I mean that that's kind of interesting because that's that's uh... kind of like two sides there is the practical application in the real world where you have deadlines and you have budgets and you have a lot of things kind of driving the creative process but uh... since you mentioned design you know when you think back when we were all i mean, all three of us attended design uh, school uh... when you think about your your uh... designs and how much you slaved over a, a design i mean day and night and you know Weeks and months, and if it was a thesis project, I mean, it was the entire semester that you slaved over this project. And as the design evolved and the project moved forward, um, you know that was the interesting thing about sketching things on paper is that uh, every sketch is an experiment. It's an uh, a paper experiment. It's very quick and it's it's cheap, really. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort. But you are constantly developing these prototypes, as -hmm. as uh, Claudia pointed out. Uh, they're not physical prototypes, but they're all on paper, and it's one after another after another. And sometimes a mistake on paper um, led to another idea. Right. And, uh, you know, one idea led to another. And by the end uh, of the semester, you have something completely and totally different than what you started with. Mm-hmm. And after investing all that time, you go to to the critique. And uh, you can be I, I – got to tell you, I don't think I have went to a single critique that wasn't – um uh, <laughs> I don't know how to even describe it.
3: Um, <laughs> v- vicious or',
1: or <laughs> probably the best way to describe it. And I think as we moved along, the professors were a little bit more sensitive, but in the beginning, those critiques were tough. They were very tough. You spent a lot of time and effort, and by the time you were done, you realized that, or at least for me, you get the feeling that all that effort that was invested was a complete failure. Um, but those were all valuable lessons, and and I will tell you, in all of those critiques, those professors were always right. They were always right, uh, and they were. Uh, I mean, that's why they're professors. Uh, you know, let's let's face it. Um, so as harsh as they were, I think that those were very valuable lessons that that you learned from that. Uh, what I would call design failure. Yes, there were successes, uh, but the successes don't don't get recorded as. Strongly, as powerfully, and probably because of the emotional attachment we have to failure. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm wondering how much of that psychology of failure is actually uh, a, uh, a mechanism that helps instill these lessons and you can learn from them and then apply them in the future. Uh, there's a lot of mistakes that I made 10, 15 years ago that I can catch myself in the process of beginning to make.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I already know that doesn't work. So, and th- you know, mistakes that I made 10 years ago. Uh, I still remember and I catch myself successes that I made 10 years ago I completely forgot things that went very well and I know that I did mm-hmm. I tried to do them again and I forgot how I did it right. you know I got to relearn how to do it correctly because I know I did it and I don't remember how because it went so easily
0: mm-hmm. and I, I agree and uh, you know going back to what you were talking about was school um we all went to the same school as people who follow the show know and uh, I think one of the things that At the beginning of every semester we had was a design charrette, right? Yes. And it didn't matter what year you were in, you participated in the same project. You got a week to do it in. You just turned it in. They judged it and then they picked the winner. Yes. Right. And it's funny because I always, I always thought whenever, whenever I didn't win it, I was like, okay, well, that was a failure, right? But looking back on it, I learned more from the ones I didn't win than the one, th- the one that I did win one semester. you know. And, and I think that sort of shows that, again, from the failures or from the things that you don't necessarily see as successes at the time, you're gaining more out of than mm-hmm. the, the, the thing that goes right the whole way. What's yeah. there to learn from that?
3: So. Mm.
1: It's funny you should bring up the charrette. I don't know if you saw my, my most recent video. Which,
0: um, that the one, that's the one with the, the chair. chair. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. That was one of those design charrettes. Right. And uh, we can get into that when we discuss what we're working on. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was a charrette that I almost won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I almost won. And it was so funny just standing there listening to the professors. They uh, they were saying we it, we were all in agreement. They, this is what they said. We were all in agreement that was clearly a winner. This individual even went so far as to build a chair. <laughs> At that point, I knew it was me because I was the only one that built a chair. Mm-hmm. Everybody else just did design drawings. And then then <laughs> came the the guillotine. The axe came down, and they said, but after reading the description of the project, they misspelled one word. <laughs> Which is true. I did misspell that one word, mm-hmm. and I misspelled the word furniture. <laughs> <laughs> and and you got to remember, these design charrettes were only a week long, right? And you, you know, you had to slave over design, and I went a step further by actually building the chair.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So I was exhausted, and I uh, I misspelled furniture. I spelled it furniture. It was <laughs> just a little slip on the keyboard, mm-hmm. and because of that mistake, it was disqualified. Mm-hmm. And they were they were very clear about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> but but guess what it's been more than 10 years and i still haven't forgotten it right and you don't miss bell <laughs> furniture been... anymore <laughs> yeah
3: right
1: you yeah know. now i just solved the problem by not putting any words down exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah uh in fact i was thinking about it that was uh 15 years ago is when that was has it been that long well it's been that long yeah. it's been a while yeah.
2: yeah i guess the one thing i would
1: add but I remember very clearly from
2: ray's Uh, awesome story right there Um, is so who gets to define what whether it failed or not
0: well you see that's what I was trying to get at from the beginning when we were talking when you brought up the thing with the grace that it's a it's a personal definition I thought you know and that's what you were saying when it came to to the design part of it right like you were trying to be a perfectionist so to you if it wasn't 100% perfect you you were seeing it as a failure I think either way is a personal definition there's people that struggle at school and if they get a d and they don't fail they don't get an f they consider themselves doing great
2: yeah but in ray's story for example to me is i i mean i would have still given it to ray right because to me misspelling misspelling something mm-hmm. is such a it's such a minor error well, as I opposed you. to doing everything else right, and but I agree someone... you, that also wasn't
0: the point of the exercise either
2: yeah, it like, wasn't. Yeah, it mm-hmm. wasn't about it. You know, like correctly spelling the word furniture. Mm. So that's what I'm saying. So like, it's interesting that at times, yes, ultimately it should be about you, mm. right? But the reality is that you know who tells you whether you fail or not. It's usually somebody else.
0: It is, but I mean, and I don't mean to get we'll go with the sports here, but. Um, <laughs> You know, there, was, there, 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 can only, there can only be so many people that succeed at some things at, at times, right? Like in this specific incident we were just talking about, there was only one winner. So that means everybody else lost, right? But that doesn't mean they necessarily failed, that their design was garbage. You know, and, and it takes me back to the, there was this baseball coach that used to coach the Marlins where we, where we all grew up in Florida. And he used to, he won a lot of championships, you know, Jimmy Leland, and he used to say that, yeah, the championships were nice, but his definition of success was if at the end of the season, he could look at the mirror and say, he gave it all he had, because sometimes there's just people that are
2: better.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so that, that notion of success or failure, mm-hmm. um, especially in the context of making things, right. is really a subjective right. concept yeah because like if you're making you know a a table or a chair or an Arduino Mm -hmm. uh... uh, device uh, control device um, even if it works perfectly Mm -hmm. but it's still like you said not in your mind's eye of what it it Mm -hmm. should be doing or what you expected uh... even though it works perfectly and it'll be a success in anyone else's mind Mm -hmm in your mind because of the concept is so subjective it is a failure
0: Right.
1: yeah Yeah. I mean so it, yeah, go ahead. well it's interesting because that means that everything is both it's kind of like Schrodinger's cat mm-hmm. you know everything is a, is a success and everything is a failure um, and the probability is equal and it isn't until you look in the box that you realize uh, you know which one it is and of course by looking in the box you affect the outcome of the experiment yeah. Ah. I can see Claudia. She goes, "What are you talking about, shorteners cat?" <laughs> I can see it in her face. Yeah,
2: I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> that's really interesting." No, but um, I <clears throat> I think in what you just explained, you missed one thing, which is uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And there's, that is something that you don't necessarily have control over.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's usually what can impact failure.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The like at times, depending on whatever it is, whatever you know that. Like, what specific thing we're talking about but uncertainty is always there or it's usually there or reducing that uncertainty sort of like allows you to succeed more Hmm. or the uncertainty that you didn't account for could lead you to failure so Uncertainty, so is, is like it's a very. See,
0: when you say uncertainty, what do you mean specifically? <clears throat> so,
2: in 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 very scientific better. terms, right? I mean, we, we will probably know more about this, but you know, just in the scientific <laughs> process, yes, uncertainty yeah. will be. Uncertainty is a part. Is 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 always accounted for for scientists mm-hmm. whenever they're doing any, any analysis, um, and therefore, they account for it in a way that if the if the um, hypothesis doesn't turn out to be what it is, it often is because of all of the uncertainties, uncertainties that they listed, right? It's one of them, or it's, it's at least interesting
1: one of them. That, it's interesting that you choose this word uncertainty, um, and, and you've said it a few times. It, it It's interesting because uh, mentioning Schrodinger's cat um, and, I could, and I saw the look on your face. And for, for the listeners who don't know, we, we Skype so we can, we can <laughs> see each other and, and, and do this. Um, the, the idea of Schrodinger's Cat is specifically a, uh, an explanation, a model of explanation of the uh, uncertainty principle. That's exactly what it is. Yes, I do it. It has so, to do
2: with it.
0: Uh-huh. Well, yeah. hey, I get the part that I make, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable with it, what I, I'm, because we're, we're talking about, a, we're talking about it, in, you, you guys are talking about it in a scientific way, right? Yeah. Um, and the reason why I don't think it's a scientific thing is because, you know, scientific experiments are meant to sort of discover something. I don't know necessarily fail or succeed, mm-hmm. right? Wait, let me finish. Because mm-hmm. I think what what is, what can help determine failure or success is somewhat is more of a circumstance. Right? If somebody from the projects wants to be a star hockey player, the chances of them being able to succeed at that are unlikely because of the circumstances he's been placed on. Because, you know, they may not have the money, there's not an ice hockey ring, he's probably not in Canada. You know, all of those things are circumstances out of their control That keep them from succeeding at something
3: Mm
0: -hmm. right so I don't know I I, there are certain circumstances that are always going to get in your way of succeeding at something is yeah that you have no control over
2: yeah and uncertainty is not necessarily the circumstantial Mm -hmm. it's um, so in in scientific ways one thing that I didn't agree with you is that it's not always about discovery it's also about finding solutions right and it's also about um solving problems right and in solving your problem then you have the the uncontrolled like the things that you cannot control right because you may not have all the information at hand which kind of goes a little bit with what you're saying right with that you know like not having access to specific things Mm -hmm. as a as a sports person you know like then that i I just gave i just gave a
0: sports example but you know uh we were just talking to somebody this weekend that wanted to be an architect but they couldn't afford it they couldn't afford all the supplies they couldn't afford to go to school for it so they ended up not being an architect. you know and that circumstance you know i was lucky enough that i had parents that supported me through it and gave me the money and 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 helped me through the the whole thing i had a place to live while i was going to school so, but those are circumstances that that person didn't have control over.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, that yeah. is, it, it
1: is what it is. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's interesting. And when you, when you put it into the, into the context of, of people, you see, uh, people do have choices. And I was, in the, I was in the same boat as your friend there. Uh, you know, I wanted to study architecture, but there was absolutely no way I could afford uh, the supplies, going to school, paying rent, all those other things. So I went a different route. I still studied architecture, and I still, uh, uh, you know, was working as an architect for many, many years. Uh, but my route was a little bit more, uh, a little bit longer route. I joined the Army, got my GI Bill. Uh, you know, I did all the other things to make it happen. Uh, so it's very easy for you to say, well, I can't afford it. I throw my hands up, and I'm, I'm going to do something else. Or you can go that extra step. So. Uh, as you know, as a result, I'm I'm the only one in my family who's ever even attended college, so, and in that regard, that's a bit of a of a personal success, you know, obviously. Uh, so, it's difficult when you throw in that the the when you're talking about humans individually. Uh, I think that there's a lot of choice and there's a lot of uh, effort that they can choose to to uh, put forth or not. So it's a it's a little bit more difficult. <laughs> you can
0: uh, you can say that circumstances and someone into it I mean this person that I'm talking about he, he, they were illegal so they couldn't join the army uh, to do that to yeah. do that sort of thing um, so there's still a circumstance you, you were born in this country so you were already a sort of first generation in this country he's not even to that point yet so maybe his yeah. kids will be able to do what you're saying you know so yeah, there's yeah. still some level of circumstance in things
1: Yeah, the and, and, and privilege I mean he could have sold drugs. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you gotta have you gotta I didn't say that's the opportunity you're given. Yeah. And, and
2: I would say, like, we, you know, in our school, we met a couple of friends who didn't have to sell drugs, but were still selling drugs in order to yeah, get through right? architecture yeah. school,
0: right? And there were quite a few that were consuming.
2: And, <laughs> and they were consuming, right? Yeah. And they didn't have any need to do that. <laughs> um, what One final thing about failure that I would wanna say is so, in in the other type of work that I do, which is more of the community development work, um, and I guess this ties a little bit into sort of like my personal practice before my state of wokeness <laughs> that I live in, in now, um, the is that is the responsibility of the failures because you know we're, we've been thinking we've been talking about failure as a as a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. That you know you learn from it. It's like such a powerful thing and i was just reading um an article from harvard from harvard design a harvard Harvard business review on failing by design and about you know how um, design schools teach about failing and the whole process of management and all that other good stuff which is you know like again embrace failure but there's so much responsibility behind the failure in terms of community development because um as professionals you can easily provide you know a a full-on report, a full-on master plan for, for, for a specific community as a solution and then it completely fails whether, you know, it's because it hasn't been funded properly or because you're not addressing the right problem and again this goes sort of like a little bit to the international development failure fest that I was talking about before, you know, while some people can, can embrace it, the impacts of a failure for a community that really needs you to succeed,
3: mm-hmm.
2: are huge. Right. And there's so much responsibility behind that. And I feel like we also have to be very careful in embracing failure sometimes because mm-hmm. um, its impacts are, are vast when it, when it comes down to making decisions without thinking of everyone. and without And you can't always think of everyone, but without thinking of the most impacted people. And that's often the case of architecture. That's often the case of design, right? Um, you know, iPhones, you know, a lot of these tools, like a lot of these, like, yeah, tools that we use, they're for very privileged people. They're not necessarily for, maybe that's, you know, one of the things about Android, right? That, you know, Android's a little more accessible even. So it's interesting that, you know, whatever we end up designing, you should always think about, who's going to be impacted by that, right. and make sure that your failure doesn't um, overburden those. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think as, as we move forward in this times, so, sometimes it's becoming more and more, people are becoming more and more aware of, you know. I think for a long, I think you see so many companies now that try and give back and, and the part of their business is to give back mm-hmm. to certain communities. Um, that you didn't see that before, you know. Yeah, social entrepreneurs. Right. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, I think everybody becomes more aware of that, not just from an entrepreneurship point of view, but from design and from manufacturing. And from- Providing
2: service. Right. Yeah. So,
1: cool. So, so, you know, what do you think about, uh, you know, on in the small scheme of things, you know, on the individual level about uh, personal failure, uh, as far as as you know an individual project and uh, what I like to use it as, as an example is uh... when when uh, people are cooking or baking you know mm-hmm. you let's say you want to bake um, a- and I'll use this as a good example that happened to uh... somebody I knew years ago uh... she said she wanted to make biscuits from scratch mm-hmm. she had never made biscuits from scratch and I'm like what well, you know what that's a great idea so her mom had made biscuits many 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 times and she had helped and witnessed it many times she attempts to make biscuits for the first time on her own. She was successful in making hockey pucks. Mm-hmm. They were very good uh, for hockey pucks, mm-hmm. but um, and and she was personally devastated. And I remember having this conversation. Like, this was the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, you might have put too much of this, too much of that. What did you do? And and. And in that process, she realized that she had put, I think, too much baking soda, or baking powder, mm-hmm. or one of those things. And of course, uh, too much is a bad thing. And it, and and when I mean hockey pucks, they were rock hard. You could not bite into them, mm-hmm. fresh out of the oven. You could not bite into them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a, a personal failure and something that's so common to a lot of people. You know, in the kitchen, uh, I think that that there's a lot of in kitchen failures uh, that uh, that are. Learning experiences, and then sometimes uh, they become absolutely wonderful. They're not they're failures in the in the regard that we were talking about the uh, the the concept that it didn't come out as you planned, mm-hmm. but that it came out so much better. Right. So even though it's a it's an initial failure, it's in the in the end it's a, it's a success because uh, it was successful in a different way. Kind of like the adhesive for post-it notes. Mm-hmm. You know, the adhesive for post-it no- notes was a complete failure for. For the adhesive that they were trying to find, and yet it is so commonplace that everyone is familiar with it.
0: Yeah, no, it's funny because uh, I was thinking as you were talking about it, and the, especially the cooking part of it. I was thinking, like in the story about the, the your friend that made hockey pucks when she was trying to make this <laughs> and, uh,
1: they were very successful as hockey pucks. <laughs> um,
0: and, and it's funny because yeah, I, you know, I've had those times where I trying to make something and it clearly didn't come up well enough. I think the thing that devastates me more, just because I, whenever I fail at something, I try and learn something from it and try and like yep. do better next time. I think the thing that devastates specifically with cooking is when I cook something for the first time, and that first time, you're just like, oh, my God, this is delicious. This is the best. I love it so much. And then the next time you make it, it's just never as good as that first time uh-huh. again. Yeah. And then I, every time I see that thing or I make that thing again, I see it as a failure after that because it, it never tastes as good as that first time, you know?
1: And because it came out so well the first time, you didn't right. learn from it.
0: Right. right. and what well, Exactly. And I didn't learn from it, and then my problem is that I can't ever make it the same way again. And maybe it's just a matter of perspective again. The, yeah, that first time, because it was the first time I made it, tasted so good, and these other times it's the same, but now it's, yeah, nothing, <laughs> I see nothing but failure there. Yeah. yeah.
2: I love how you guys use the word devastating when it comes down to food.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit of an exaggeration. But, I don't you think know, it For is. people that love food...
2: I think it's, like, a necessity, right? You need to eat, right? So, to me, I cook because I need to eat. Mm -hmm. I bake because that's where, like, I'm treating myself, you know, Mm -hmm. treat yourself. So, yeah, like, that's... And baking is really, like, it's a science. So then, yeah, therefore, therefore you have to kind of get it right.
3: Right.
2: So, like, I fail all the time at baking Jose cookies. (laughs) I just just can't do it. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, that's when, like, you know, like, patience comes into play and other... You know having the right tools makes a big difference mm-hmm. um, having the right you should ingredients. Come
1: over. <laughs> usually Jen bakes cookies every year for Christmas and she bakes a lot of them
0: I only want that... that I only eat one type of cookie
1: well she makes all different types um, and she actually makes biscotti too mm-hmm. and we have never given anyone the biscotti that says this was the worst thing I ever had yeah. It. Uh, she even, uh, for a while, I don't know if you remember, she was doing a, uh, a, uh, I forget what it was called, a personal chef service. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So she was hired by uh, by one of the com- uh, the architecture company I worked for, and she did, I don't know, at least five dozen cookie baskets, mm-hmm. and the clients actually made it a point to call. They didn't say anything about the cookie baskets. They specifically called and mentioned the biscotti mm. that is how unbelievably wonderful they they could care less about anything else that was in that basket
3: mm.
1: so uh, so we and that was years ago and we still talk about uh we call it her we call it her world famous biscotti <laughs>
3: because
1: so many people called and even when we give it out uh she she makes it um uh, she didn't make any last year but the year before she made some and uh we sent you know we'll send it to people and and such and uh, everybody makes it a point of calling back, so uh, they never say anything about any other of the cookies, but her biscotti are extremely successful. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a yeah. good thing to enjoy. I like yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So biscotti. yeah, you can come over. You can come over and learn how to how to bake.
0: Yes. All right. Cool. I think this has been a good discussion. We've uh, at the very least we've talked a lot. I don't know if we've learned a lot. So maybe this discussion was a failure. I don't know. <laughs> that will <won't> tell. <laughs>
1: Oh, I don't know. I think it. I think it is a uh, was successful. I yeah. mean, I think the crux of it is that uh, success or failure is is uh, can be subjective mm-hmm. uh, in certain circles. It's it's very definitive. There's no subjection about it. Yeah, but uh, failure seems to be more of a personal issue, uh, yeah. and and success as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree.
0: Very right, cool. Cool. Well, that's. Uh, that's a good topic, and I think that's a good place to end it, so we'll move on to our next segment, which is the product of the week. All right, well, let's talk about our product of the week. Um, this week, Ray, you added this, and it's sort of going along the idea of the miniaturizing larger
3: tools.
1: Yeah, it seems that uh, you know every time I, I am looking for something something else pops up in my feeds mm-hmm. and uh... i was quite surprised when i saw this um, you know that uh, i've got a water jet in the shop and uh... uh it, it's an expensive machine it's a high-maintenance machine and it's it's huge You you've seen it we have it in its yeah. own s- separate building right. uh... but it is an invaluable tool it's a it's a fantastic machine for cutting different materials it doesn't care if it's uh... Stone or glass or metal or wood or or if it's really thin or very thick, it really cuts through uh, anything you put in front of it, which makes it such a very useful uh, mm-hmm. tool and it does it significantly accurately yeah. um, it's not as accurate as a laser a laser is more accurate, but it's very limited in its materials mm-hmm. so uh, keeping in line with a lot of the other uh, tooling that we've kind of uh, showcased for uh, the ability. For what I would call, you know, the average person to have mm-hmm. in their uh, arsenal of of tooling, uh, a miniaturized version of industrially available tools, this water jet is leaps above anything else uh, in that it is a desktop unit, it sits right mm-hmm. on your desk. It's a very tiny unit, and I couldn't even believe that this was even possible. Right. Um, one thing I'd like to say is that, of course, uh, as always, we are not affiliated with this product in any way, shape, or form, although I have reached out to them to mm-hmm. see if they would be interested in letting us uh, test drive one.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: I would love to test drive that uh, little unit. Uh, and so it's very easy to look at the at the price tag uh, and say, wow, that's a lot of money. Uh, $6,000 for a functioning water jet uh, is it is a... Uh, more than reasonable. For reference, the water jet that I have in my shop is about $250,000. <laughs> so when you consider a $6,000 water jet, it is amazing that they are able to get that much technology and uh, and produce this te- desktop water cutting. I mean, what would you do if you had one of these right now in your in your yeah, apartment?
0: I'd be cutting all sorts of things. Yes,
3: I mean, my because, right? <laughs> yeah, I my mean, fingers. I'll say
0: one of the coolest. I mean, probably the coolest machine that's in the that metal shop that that you're that you run is the water jet. You know, like I, I, I every time we've gone there, I love when we use that machine. It's just it's it's so cool.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's cool. it's powerful too. Yeah, and it's uh, deceptively simple when you look at it. You're like, yeah. oh yeah. Until you see it cutting, uh, you realize the 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 awesome power of high pressure water. Right.
0: Well, and, and I'll say, because we've covered a few sort of machines that they're, they're doing this with. So they miniaturize them into into like a tabletop model. And, yeah. and I feel like we've said this a couple of times. So, this is a very dangerous machine. Oh, yeah. This, this, this is not a toy. This, this would take the price. Because this will cut, cut anything you put under it right off <laughs> your yep. hand, your metal, whatever. Yeah, that's what
2: I said. Like, my yeah. fingers will be cut off.
0: Right. Easy. Um, but it, I mean, it is amazing. It I, I think one thing worth saying though, this is a Kickstarter still. These things are not just shipping. I, They're I,
1: expecting I shipping next year, I think.
0: Okay, and, and I heard that about the <laughs> the three D printer I ordered as well. <laughs> yeah, and so so that's one thing that's worth noting. That they they sh- they have a prototype because that's part of the the Kickstarter thing. You have to have a prototype before you you list it on here. And actually, no, they must have a prototype because they're going to be at the World Maker Fair in New York City, not this weekend, but next weekend. Um, yes. So we, I think we're all planning on going. I think it'd be great to see it there and see what they're doing with it. Yeah. Yeah. It would be very
1: interesting. But you know what? This, this really, I think, would open up uh, a lot of possibilities for different materials. Mm-hmm. You know, we, when you think about the access of tooling that you have... Uh, it, you're kind of limited to the, uh, the materials that you can actually manipulate in your, like in your apartment, for example, or even in my in my uh, shop here at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, the water jet opens up a whole new uh, portfolio of materials that you can use to create anything you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, the price of, of $6,000, and obviously they're a little bit less right now because they're trying to... Uh, Get the campaign going. Mm. M- while it might seem like a lot, it is for the amount for the technology that you're getting and the possibilities. Uh, really, is is not a lot of money, uh, especially when you compare the industrial-sized machine uh, of, of this size. Mm. Um, one thing that I was looking for that I could not find, and uh, reading their. Their uh, uh, prospectus on the machine, uh, it they're keeping that information under wraps on purpose. Uh, my water jet in the shop runs at fifty thousand psi mm-hmm. uh, And that is not a a slip up. That is uh, five followed by four more zeros. That's mm-hmm. fifty thousand psi uh, is the pressure of the water. And they do not disclose what pressure this is running. Uh, so I don't know if it's a low-pressure machine. You can cut at lower pressures. We ha- There's a shop that we do work for that has a machine that runs at 40,000 PSI, mm-hmm. and it runs a little bit slower uh, than ours does. So what I don't know is what pressure they're running uh, because that will be a direct influence on the size of the pump. I can see that the pump is very small mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, speed at which you can cut. And of course, the thickness of the material. As the water jet cuts through the material, you lose energy. So if it's too thick, you may not have enough energy to go all the way through. For example, the limit of my water jet at uh, in the shop is six inches. Uh, Six inches of thick of steel Mm -hmm. is is all I can cut. Now, that seems like a lot, and you know that's that's a pretty big chunk of steel. That's a lot, yeah. It's a lot of steel. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you have to cut seven inches, then you're out of luck. Right, you know. So luckily we don't have to do that. Six inches is about the maximum we'll put on there. Anything else, we'll just uh, use co- conventional means. It just takes a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know what the maximum capacity of this machine is. I doubt that it's you can put anything thicker than maybe quarter inch or three eighths of an inch. Uh, I don't think it might it'll have enough energy. But still, the wow behind it is the fact that they've been able to to uh, get this technology into the hands of regular people. Uh, yeah. You know, not everybody's going to be able to run out, build a building, put a two hundred fifty thousand dollars water jet into mm-hmm. just to tinker.
0: Right. Well, when you team this up with some of the other machines that we've talked about, you team this up with a three D printer. You team this up with some of the other machines we've talked about. You could make Plastic almost anything. Plastic
1: extruder. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. You've, yeah.
2: you've made yourself a nice. A true, really true yeah, fabrication lab. Right, because
0: when you think about it, this is seven thousand dollars, you get a 3D printer, you get some mm-hmm. of the extruders, you get some of the the punches that we've seen even, mm-hmm. or yeah, Oh, yeah. you you end up you know for what ten thousand dollars, you can end up with quite a small manufacturing shop where yeah. you could make a lot of things.
3: So
1: yeah, no, I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: Uh, so the the only question I have, and I guess the only input I can give, other than the fact that wow, I could cut my finger with this, <laughs> is um. <laughs> The software, so now that uh, I can proudly say that I am 3D printer print, printer certified and laser, laser cutting mm-hmm. certified, one of the things <laughs> that we went through in the training was the software, right? So you can, you know, like design, it's not so much a design software that you're using to design whatever you want to do, which, you know, like anything with SolidWorks, Adobe Illustrator, anything that's vectorized or CAD, you would end up using, but... This particular um, machine says that they have a a Wazer software that you end up using as well because you load your drawing to it. So, what my question is to I guess Ray, since you've seen this very like in, in like in in depth. Um, the software itself does it seem like it's it it makes it very dumb, sort of like you know like for the average user to put in and in a way like i find i kind of find that um not so cool because i i you know part of using these machines is to like learn um manufacturing a little bit to get an introduction to manufacturing and you know like g-code and being able to understand what the whole process is at least a little bit better
1: sure uh it's a it's a good question you bring up because uh in manufacturing and cnc controlled equipment uh, most of which uh, are are operated by G code and for our listeners who are not familiar with it it's just a, a programming language the same way you would say basic or Fortran or COBOL uh, or you know RPG or you know HTML or PHP any of those you know computer languages uh, pick one it doesn't really matter uh, G code is the computer language specifically created for operating Uh, machining equipment and and CNC operated equipment. Mm -hmm. It's actually quite simple uh, but if you're not familiar with it it, uh, like any language it would seem confusing. Um, The water jet, I've I've had a chance to work on a flow water jet which is what we have and an Omax water jet and I can tell you from the experience on those two machines is that the software that they use is entirely proprietary. Mm. and you'll find that on lasers, uh, water jets and uh, even uh, plasma machines a lot of the software that they use are all proprietary so you have to become familiar with it. Now uh, having said that, a lot of the uh, the software translates what you are using on the screen into the g-code that actually runs the machine but you as the operator never see the g-code So you only see this graphical user interface and if you have any familiarity with AutoCAD or any CAD CAM software, you will find it very simple and easy to use. Uh, You have a drawing, you can either import a DXF drawing uh, or create it and I will tell you from my experience as well that the software, uh, the the drawing utilities that come with the software are extremely basic. If you are familiar with AutoCAD, you will be very frustrated. They are very difficult to use, especially when you have all the tools of AutoCAD at your disposal. So if you have simple parts, like let's say it's a circle with a bolt pattern or a square flange with a hole in it, simple parts, uh, you can use the software fairly uh, efficiently and it would not be a big deal. If you have more intricate patterns, uh, you are better off using AutoCAD. You draw it and then you export a DXF file and import it into uh, the software because they are so tedious, so difficult, so impossible to draw in, that you would just about give up. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so uh, I always tell my guys, if you can't draw it, don't even spend time. It'll only take me a couple of minutes. I'll draw it for you and you can just go plug it in. (laughs) Uh, Because really it will take, sometimes it takes hours to try to figure out how to use these tools because they're so limiting.
2: Yeah. And, uh,
1: uh, and, And if you already have experience I use autocad because that's kind of like an industry standard uh... Y- you know all of us have experience with autocad mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's kind of like the uh... the uh... the, the standard by which other uh, so drawing so- software utilities are du- are judged um, i'm not sure if you ever use delta cam or or any of these other cad packages they're very difficult once you have used autocad it really kind of spoils you for any other drafting software yeah. uh, And uh, even I use SOLIDWORKS now, and uh, SOLIDWORKS have some very interesting utilities that you can import, uh, I'm sorry, export G-code to. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's something extra you pay for, but getting back to this discussion, uh, I have no idea what their software looks like, I guarantee you. Uh, It'll only work on this machine, and there's no interchangeability with other machines. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I trust that it will not be difficult to learn.
0: Yeah, I mean, and the, their whole point is they're trying to make it accessible to sort of the consumer market, you know, so, m- like most 3D printers even come with their own software. And, you know, while while there's some software out there that can be applied to any 3D printer, even they don't interact with the specific 3D printer. Like, um, Cura, for example, which is made by um, MakerBot, I believe. No, it's not MakerBot, it's one of the others. Um, uh, it... Can be used on other software, and it exports the G code to a card, and then you have to go plug it into your own one. Um, so this is going to work similarly. They've come up with their own software for their machine. You can probably bring in a, a DWG or a DXF or whatever into the software. So you could go draw it somewhere else and then drop it in here to to cut it. But
2: yeah, what um, just the you know like the idea of putting having this in a, in a fab lab, and you know like we talked about it already. But um, I always think of it because we have the the, the privilege in that we have, you know, like, we've been, we went to school and we learned about CAD and then we, like, learned it in work, you know, in our own practices and everything else. But then when you think of, like, a, a student, you know, a 14-year-old that goes to some of these fab labs mm-hmm. and they may not have access even to a computer sometimes, right? They only have their phone. Now, while they're, they're able to pick up most of the software fairly quickly, um, because, you know, it's just, it's functions, right? It's just a function. And that's great. But what I, where I see a little bit of the disconnect is how the full-on comprehensive understanding of what design software is, like the whole systemic part, you know, how like you go, from, like what Ray said, AutoCAD, right? You And the uses of AutoCAD and why you would do that. And then how that translates into putting it uh-huh. When you want to use these machines, you know and and then if you decided to go to manufacturing the G code part. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an interesting thing because I mean that's a lot to learn, obviously. For us, it's easier to to, to pick yeah, up but
0: that's a gap that's closing, right? Um,
2: and these machines are helping to close that. You this
0: machine are some of the software that, has that you can you can download Sketchup for free, I think still. Mm-hmm. And Sketchup will let you put out a DXF file that you could feed to this machine.
1: It used to. Oh by the way. That's an interesting aspect uh, that you bring up. Uh, I forget which version, I think it was version 5 or 6, mm-hmm. was the last version that it would export a DXF file from the basic. Uh, you From the Pro, it, that, that's a feature that they shifted into the Pro. Um, and I learned that one the hard way because I accidentally upgraded my SketchUp. Uh, this was uh, six years ago. And I've, I'm like, why can't I export this? Well. It was a feature that they moved into the pro version, so you have to pay for it to get that particular functionality out of it. Um, um,
0: but, but that's just one of them. I mean, you can download Yeah, it's one of them. Yeah. One, two, three design will let you do it. Um, yeah. forget the the other one that does vector drawing. can't think of the name of my head right now, but it's also a free software that will let you export the XF file. Cool. Oh, uh, Inkscape. Inkscape, that's right, yeah. Inkscape, Inkscape will, will let do, you that, do that. Yeah. That. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and those are software that are getting easier to use, and kids. We were just at this fab lab for the required certification. Even though we know how to use some of these machines, we had to go for the certification. There were people there getting the certification that didn't fully know the next step, like for the 3D printer one. They were asking, well, how do I get the model? How do do I send my... like, I have a flat drawing, or I have a flat photograph, can I get that printer in my... In the 3d printer right and he, he yeah. had to get explained to you no that's not how that works you have to make a model or you mm-hmm. have to download it from somewhere
2: yeah from a 2d to a 3d right and, yeah. yeah
0: but that gap is closing because of all of this software that's available for free and
2: all this machine
0: youtube videos that you can find now to go how kind of to use that's them true. the machines are becoming more accessible so now you see the need to learn it mm-hmm. before you didn't have the need to learn
2: yeah it's so cool it's just it's it's such a good thing
0: and the g-code much like we don't see the DAW is behind the operating system that's something that's getting hidden and hidden behind layers more and more every day mm-hmm. yeah it's just what it is
1: yeah and i think for like like you're mentioning the uh, the uh, printer you know 3d printer and like the water jet and even the laser well you saw we use the laser at, at my shop yeah uh you didn't see energy code right yeah that's completely and that's, hidden
0: right. and that software was more complicated than what you saw. The software that we used at the one in the fab lab. The one in the fab lab, you went from um, Illustrator basically, and you would print it. You you would Perfect. draw in two colors. Yeah, send to print. You would send to print, and it would send it to its software, and then you could just locate it and hit print.
1: Huh.
0: And hit, and then it would cut it. As long as you use the two colors, one color meant cut, one color meant uh, etch.
1: Or engrave, yeah. Or engrave,
0: mm-hmm. right. So,
2: you know, that's just how it works. Yeah, cool. Very
1: cool. I really like this, Ray. Yeah, Yeah, I I mean, when I saw this, it popped up. uh, And in fact, it popped up at work because I have so many uh, industrial, I do a lot of uh, searching for industrial-related items and parts and things. So uh, I'm not sure if if our our listeners are familiar with it, but uh, Google keeps track of all the things you search and then finds appropriate um, advertisement to show you based on your search history I yep. <laughs> are watching that's... you <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh, you guys may not have it may not have popped up in your search you may not have not seen it till now but it popped up several times and, and i did end up clicking on it to find out more about it and i was quite it was quite impressively surprised
0: yeah yeah it's very cool and uh if i had this six thousand dollars to spare i would definitely be getting one but <laughs> It doesn't. be really clear. This machine is not going to be cheap to run because you still have to get the the, the
1: oh, yeah. diamond Garnet. sand
0: that has to <laughs> run through yeah. it as well with the water. So
1: yeah, and you know what? That's another good uh, aspect to bring up. So it uses high pressure water. We don't know the pressure because they're keeping that specifically under wraps right. uh, for a patent they're applying for, uh, which I you know I understand uh, completely. Uh, I'd like to know personally, but uh, they don't want to disclose that. But uh... the water alone doesn't do the job so in a high-pressure stream of water it is injected a, uh... A, an abrasive granule and in this case it's garnet is, and in fact it's the same garnet we use uh... but th- obviously in much smaller quantities uh, to give you an idea our machine consumes about a pound of garnet for every minute of runtime well. so if you run it for an hour it is it is it uh... sixty pounds and it comes in fifty five Pound bags. So one bag does not quite get you to a full hour of run. If you're running it for eight hours, you're using eight bags. Uh, We currently pay, I think it's about 50 cents a pound or so. So uh, you can start doing the math if you use, you know, 10 pounds a day. uh, I'm sorry, not 10 pounds, uh, uh, 10 bags a day, roughly speaking. That's, uh, you know, 550 pounds. Round that up to five hundred pounds. That is uh, roughly two hundred fifty dollars a day in just the garnet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you start adding the electricity and the maintenance. Uh, that's one thing I could not find. I was looking for what the maintenance issue is. Uh, I, 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 you know, I don't want people to listen to this and say, "Oh yeah, I'm going to go run out and get one." Mm-hmm. Uh, for an example, our machine takes anywhere between fifty to seventy thousand dollars a year to run and maintain. Mm-hmm and of course it's a bigger machine and that includes the garnet cost of the garnet uh... but when parts break down which is often they are expensive uh... Well, you're maintenance dealing with high water pressure water yeah. uh... you dealing with high-pressure water and uh... the manufacturer of our particular water jet recommends a complete pump rebuild every fifty hours mm-hmm. that is basically once a week yeah. the parts just the parts alone to do that job is fifteen hundred dollars mm-hmm. Uh, we go through a bit of a process to make it uh, last longer, so we don't rebuild on that schedule. But you can see it gets very, very expensive mm-hmm. to run the machine, and that information is not available. What the uh, the cost of the part of the consumable parts, what the maintenance schedules are. Um, I think if they if they published it, people would be scared.
0: Yeah, they would have. I mean, they've <laughs> they've gone nine hundred <laughs> times over there. They're what they were looking for. I think if yeah. they had. If that was all outlined for it, they they probably still got the money, but not yeah. as much as they have at this point. They're almost ten yeah, million dollars.
2: Yeah. Now, huh. now I'm thinking. Okay, no, no. Fourteen-year-olds are using this for their well, no. Pokemon drawing. No. <laughs> you know, so you're not gonna use
0: this like you use a 3D yeah. printer. You're not. No,
2: you're not. You're definitely. You I mean, which you wouldn't do that. You know, like, and that's one of the things that you have to learn within a fab lab, right? Mm-hmm. That you know, there's specific, there's specific. Uh, machines and 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 processes that are better fit for what you're what you want to do yeah that are this that is are less cost, this is for finished parts mm-hmm. you don't want
1: to be uh cutting things unnecessarily right. yeah, and then yeah. this
2: is something you would hopefully end up like Ray does and like m- massive not not massive but at a larger context you end up charging your clients based on the use of the machine yeah.
1: yes. So, Absolutely.
2: so, anybody who would want to do this maybe it 'll be a design company right, mm-hmm. and then they would charge their clients for the use of the machine
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. for the product that they want to create right. for them yeah, yeah. but it 's still really accessible so then in, in the
3: fact <laughs> that it 's accessible
1: that you don 't have
0: to and it's still very very cool I yeah. mean it's a very cool machine,
1: oh yeah, and when you think about it, uh, that price is the price of a of a scooter or you know a mm-hmm. low end motorcycle it, it does it 's not even the cost of a car you know right. uh the, the stuff, the equipment in my shop is the, the cost of a big house. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> just, uh, just yeah. it, it is so astronomical the difference between these two.
2: Yeah. yeah, don't give Jose any ideas of selling my scooter in order to get himself <laughs> I mean, a... Your scooter
0: doesn't pay for this. Yes, I get herself. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, so cool, that's an awesome project of the week, product of the week. So uh, let's go into what are we working on. All right. So what are we working on? Why don't you go first, Ray? Uh,
1: well, um, you know, we I kind of mentioned it earlier. Uh, this the chair that I did uh, back when we were in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I uh, obviously, if you listen to this podcast. Uh, uh, last episode was uh, our first episode back together because of my eye infection problems so what i did is uh, when my eyes did start to get better i i pulled some items out of the archive and this chair was one of them and i created a video uh documenting the chair uh, a brief synopsis of uh... how the chair came to be and then documenting all the individual components mm-hmm. and uh... the reason for the decisions of the design for the chair mm-hmm. uh, and i put that up last week and it's uh, actually been quite an interesting uh... and popular video uh, much more than i thought it would be mm-hmm. uh, i think there's there's some kind of uh, uh... interest in it because the components are simple uh, readily available and anyone can put together as uh, as you guys can attest with your little project.
0: Yeah, no, and, and I saw the video for the chair, and it's uh, I mean, I remember seeing the chair. I think that was the year after I had already finished the, that, because that, I don't remember that charrette from when we were in school. But I remember seeing the chair many times that you had made, so it, it's a very cool chair. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, I sit in it every day. I'm, in fact, I'm sitting in it now.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, And I, I've seen the video, it's pretty good. It's similar to the video you did on the table. Like oh uh, yeah, that part part, that yeah. table
1: I built when I was right. in the army.
0: Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, cool.
1: I don't know if you ever seen that table come apart like that.
0: Yeah, no, I remember seeing it come apart. We we helped you move so many times. So I remember seeing the. Part. Oh, that's right. <laughs>
1: that's, I forgot that part. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the thing about that table is, I always thought you had somehow turned that on the lathe. I didn't realize it was hand carved. Yeah. Yep.
1: Saying, yeah. The old-fashioned the way. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Cool. What about you, Claudia? What are you working on?
2: So, uh, for me, it's more of, like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. So, um, really quick win this weekend. I, with a team of, like, awesome Latinos, I, we managed to register Latino voters, like 50 La- nice. Latino voters, so that's a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Latinos, because it was at a Fiesta DC. It was a Latino festival. But the other thing that I'm working on is, um, I'm working on uh, organizing with uh, Green Neighbors is an organization, it's a group, it's not even an organization that has different, um, uh, it's throughout the, the country, like depending on where you are, sometimes they'll have it or they won't have the, it's uh, neighbors that are, you know, concerned about the environment, get together on specific issues. And there's one in near us in Petworth, uh, the Green Neighbors in Ward 4, and they're going to get together with us, with the Sierra Club, on um, putting together a community-led uh, in water meeting so community meeting for lead and water specifically um to to let people know about the issues that we have here in this this district and people uh being defined as specific community members that are low-income non-english speakers so i'm going to be doing a presentation in spanish about lead and water um and also about um the importance of communities participating in in the process in in the decision making process right Um, So one really interesting thing that came out of that, though, like uh, out of our organizing meetings was um, about the type of filters that are best used, you know, because a lot of any parent, it really doesn't matter whether you're non-English speaker or not. um, You don't have time. Right. So sometimes when you go to these meetings, you want to come out with, well, what filter should I be using right now? Because Mm -hmm. obviously the city is not doing their job at fixing the problem. So I should I need to take care of this right now because I have kids and it's really crazy. But most of the um, like the experts don't really have a, like a straightforward answer to what what is the best filter to use at, at specific, you know, at a low cost, again, low income communities. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that I've, I've been working on trying to figure out how to make um, how to start answering those questions in more pro- pro- proactive and productive ways for families so that they can do something as opposed to just saying oh it's complex um, mm-hmm. while it's really well intended but it's it's important to give people solutions as well nice. because you know we have the ability to do so so that's what I'm working on so I'll be doing a lot of research on on water filters, <laughs> water filters. nice yeah Cool. cool. yeah
0: and uh, what I've Working on, Um, I don't know if you if you followed my Facebook feed. I was this weekend. I went to the Fab Lab here in DC with the DC Public Library, and uh, we you know Claudia and I have been married for ten years, so we had talked about sort of doing this redesign of some wedding rings for each other, and uh, so I did this whole design based on like sort of uh, city skylines. I modeled it and then I went to print it, and uh, and uh, it's funny because while I was printing it, the, the one of the first the first print failed. And I also realized that I had oversized one of them, so I did some adjustments very quickly there, and I ended up coming out with one of them. And you, you can you can sort of see it right. You've at least you've seen the pictures on the Facebook.
1: Oh yeah, um, that looks good. You know, I saw it, but I didn't know what it was.
0: Yeah, it's a wedding ring, so it fits and everything. It's pretty cool. I've you know after the print came out, I realized so there's some you know it was a sort of it was much as, as much a dust as it was a final thing that it's a little bit thick in certain areas. I wanted yeah you know, I was afraid that. that it might be too flexible. It's pretty sturdy as it is you know, um, but it's a little thick on this side than it is on that yeah. side. Um, but I did a, I, I shot a bunch of video of not just the printing and, and talking about it a little bit, but I also shot video or I recorded the whole modeling process as well. So I think I'll put something out there with, with that whole thing of how, how it all came together and, and I think it's going to be an ongoing project still for a bit because while I have this one that will work and I have to do a little sanding on it, uh, I'm not completely happy with the design. And yeah. you know, like we were talking about with the failing thing, like, yeah, I ended up with a ring that I can use and everything. But I, I'm not completely happy with the thickness and some of the other issues. So I'm going to keep working on it and, and maybe. Is that we'll any
1: particular thing, skyline or just imagine? It like... wasn't. It
0: was just since it was just a test. I just wanted to see if I could do it. First, the modeling, I had to figure out how to sort of model it around a, yeah. a, a point and subtract it and whatnot. Um, but I've had already a lot of people that have seen it and make, made that comment of, oh, if you did, the, if you did specific skylines. You could even start selling them online and stuff so
1: yeah you know we can machine them out of stainless
0: right and, and that's what i was thinking is that at some point i want to play with the idea of either casting them out of something or like i was thinking we could machine them at, at your shop with one of the cnc's probably would be the best way to try to do something like this right oh yeah and yeah. for
1: that that is what you would call that's a fourth axis machining right so um, it's actually an interesting setup. You have to use a rotary table with a three-axis mill, yeah. so you, you actually have four axes. Yeah, yeah and, you got to uh, be able
0: to. Yeah, you're moving yeah. all directions. So yeah, it's pretty cool. So it's something that uh, I'll keep working on the design as we move forward with it, uh, and I'll bring it to where, where we're going to be this weekend, so that people can see it as well. But yeah, so that's what I was working on, and it's getting there. Oop, well, I just it. Got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's getting there, but get it. you know. Quick, quick project, it, probably with the modeling and then the printing, because, funny enough, it printed in 19 minutes. Like, it, you okay. know, 3D printers can be slow, but it printed real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, I
1: saw the video you put up. It, look, it, look, it was, looked like it was going pretty fast. I thought it was smaller than that, because yeah, it was moving it's, so it's fast. it's fairly,
0: fairly thick, actually. It's a way now, is it thick.
1: hollow? Is it solid?
0: Uh, it's So, it's funny, because even though it's mostly hollow, because it's so small, it ends up filling a lot of it, with 3D yeah. printing, you can sort of choose how much infill there is on on the object. And most people do 10 to 15% infill. So there's a lot of hollow space. With something this thin, when you choose, I think I chose 20% infill, it actually ends up filling almost completely the whole thing because it's making the walls so thick. Yes. Yes, it is. The walls are always sort of the thickest part of the 3D print. So it actually ends up almost completely filling it in at that point.
1: Yeah. And we should talk about that because I think... If you wanted to produce those in precious metals, mm-hmm. uh, for, the, for the listeners who are not aware, uh, when I was younger, <laughs> uh, some time ago, I worked in a, uh, a, manu- a jewelry manufacturing facility making jewelry from scratch. Yeah. So, uh, I've got a, quite a long background in manufacturing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, if you, wanted, if you were serious about it, I think we have some good ideas to make that happen
0: yeah i think it's i think it's something that down the line i think once i'm happy with the design we could, we could definitely move towards because while it's kind of cool and it looks it it's, it catches people's eye when they see this sort of gray plastic thing around your finger like oh what is that um i think it, at some point it's going to want to be metal <laughs> so oh yeah
2: well, yeah well i mean that was the purpose i I'll, I'll i'll add a little bit to to this discussion so that was the purpose right because you know he just oh, he just dropped it right <laughs> so it's like that's right. the that's one of the the, the great things about it being plastic that it's, yeah. you could always like make a bunch of them, right? It, mm. it doesn't, it takes away a little bit of the, of the big, of the need of yeah, and and metal or like something more, expensive or like platinum or anything right. like that.
0: And for the more flashy people, they could have, they could, we could take the same ring and print it in multiple colors so they could match their
1: outfits.
2: Oh, know? that's right. Yeah, you know. <laughs> could have like a Friday, Monday. Right. <laughs> um, the other thing though was... The
1: rainbow collection. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
2: The other quick thing is, two things, the other one is that uh, I think it's like Ray's, Ray has really been a good influence on us on video, on on recording and, you know, taking photos and really taking, like, uh, of the process, you know, like Mm -hmm. taking Uh, making video documenting the the, the process process. Mm -hmm. and it's so simple like you know like basically whenever you're doing anything just grab your phone and just start documenting it Mm -hmm. and i recommend that to anybody um you know jose's mom who's working on stuff sometimes Mm -hmm. you know like like one ends up doing really cool stuff and you have no document of how you did it right. and that like Jose was able to show this at a bar to his friends and mm-hmm. you know, to show them exactly how he did it. And it was the same day, you know, yeah. so and cool.
0: then I could pull up the video of him printing us as mm-hmm. we were talking about it, you know, so. it was
2: really cool. And then you share it on mm-hmm. social media and stuff. So Ray has been like totally an inspiration on that because that's what you've been doing, right? Like basically
1: showing all your work, yeah. sharing. Well, I've been making everybody. stuff for a long time and I never bothered to document any of it.
2: Mm-hmm. And then the other thing was, is like the, the other option of having a 3d pr- a 3d ring was going to be to tattoo it on our fingers <laughs> so i'm a lot happier with the fact that it's a 3d printed ring as opposed to a tattoo <laughs> yeah
1: cuz you you're always
2: oh yeah i'm such a, it would just be a line <laughs> barely
1: wooden, a line. Be a it would dot. just be a dot <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, speaking yeah. of 3d printers hmm? when when is yours coming in
0: <laughs> so is the latest update I just saw it today, they they were having... So they shipped 200 of them, and it seems that those 200 had some liquefier issues where some of them would get jammed, so they've been working on fixing that issue before shipping anymore, and it seems like this okay. week they're getting down to what the issue would be, is of the, the liquefier. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks here, they're going to start ramping up their production again and starting to ship large scale.
1: Well, good. So, uh, when did you actually... Purchase this.
0: So we funded this about a year ago, and it was supposed to it, I mean, it was supposed to take about nine months for it for them to like you know finish the you know once you design something you have to go through the, the trouble yeah. of figuring it all out. They had a prototype of, as, as they're supposed to and everything, but you know making a large scale production of it becomes a, a, a whole other issue. So so they're about a good six months behind schedule from when they were supposed to ship. Okay, but we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully the next yeah. few months. And in the meantime, yeah, I'm going. Yeah. The, the good thing is I can go to the the library and print stuff there at cost. They they charge just for the the filament, basically. So whatever the filament would cost me is what they charge for for using it. So yeah. so when I was there, I printed this ring, I which is reasonable.
1: It. I mean, I can't oh, believe everything. it's that little. Yeah, yeah,
0: because you're not you're not even the wear and tear. The machine's not even taken into account.
1: Or electricity. I mean, you're not paying right. for any of that. Right. And, uh, yeah, so I was there,
0: I printed it, you get three hour shifts, so this printed in 19 minutes, I printed a couple of other things that I'll, I'll talk about later as I work through them. Cool.
1: So, yeah. I mean, the only, the only drawback is you can't leave something overnight to print.
0: Uh, you can actually, you just have to see, You have to send it to them and then they'll print it overnight, but then there's a queue for that, you know, a lot of people send stuff to get printed overnight. Uh-huh. Uh, for, the, for something that takes more than three hours, I've had them print something else for me that took more than three hours. Okay. and it's waiting upstairs for me to clean it up and start working on it
1: so, be nice when you can do it yourself right yeah yeah, yeah.
0: so cool well, so that's what we've been working on and uh, I think very productive week. I think we need to mention next week we're actually going to have not only a special show but we are going to have a couple of shows is the plan right now we'll see how it goes once once we start but for those that don't know yet we're going to be at the Silver Spring Maker Fair. mm-hmm Right, in Silver Spring, Maryland. I know there's a lot of Silver Springs, uh-huh. um, but it's gonna be Silver Spring, Maryland. Ray's gonna come down from Delaware. We're gonna be it's Sunday, the twenty fifth, from twelve to five. Uh, we've got booth number fifty one for those that can get a hold of the map. And I'll post on the Facebook page um, the the map for it. And I, I I think I've already posted a little flyer about uh, national about Silver Spring Maker Fair. Um, so we're gonna be at the fair. We're gonna record a show in the morning. It's the plan right now or in the morning or When it starts around 12 o'clock Then throughout the day, we're gonna go look around some of the other makers but We're also going to be interviewing makers and interviewing hopefully some of the attendees at our booth So then we'll release that as a show probably later on in the week of everybody's interviews and you know, we've got some questions we're coming up with and then we'll probably do another episode at the end of the day with our impressions of the fair and what we saw there and that'll hopefully release the day after which will be Monday and and that's what's gonna be happening next weekend so it'll be a special couple of shows there
1: Yeah, now you have guys been to Maker Faires before I this will be my first one I've never mm-hmm. been to one yeah
0: um, they're fun you know there's, a, there's gonna be a lot of kids running around mm-hmm. usually there's a lot of kids running around which is great um, you know the I'm not sure how the projects are gonna be because we've been to sort of the We've been to sort of a spectrum, where we went to Mini Maker Faire in Greenbelt, Maryland. We went to the World Maker Faire in New York City, which was enormous. Um, and we've been to National Maker Faire here in D.C., which was sort of an in-between of those. I have a feeling that Silver Spring is, again, going to be sort of an in-between. It's not going to be as small as the Greenbelt one. But I probably won't be as big as, national, as the National Maker Faire here in D.C. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what it's like. You know, you you're gonna see a lot of people with projects, whether it's 3D printers. You're gonna see a lot of uh, people with some kind of robots that they've made themselves. They, you know, there's gonna be a lot of projects.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I think there's gonna be some f- projects that require fire because there was a form to fill out if your if your project had a fire requirements, You had to have a fire oh, really? plan. Yeah. yeah. So there'll probably be some stuff with fire, um, and it's gonna be fairly big. We're gonna, we're gonna be inside the the building in Silver Spring. But there's also going to be in the there's a, a, yard, a, a courtyard, sort of a courtyard outside. outside that there's going to have a lot of bunch other projects there as well. A lot of people with booths there, so it'll be interesting.
2: Yeah, school school is in session now, so that's always good because profet- like teachers, professors, teachers um, will you know ask their students to go and check it out as well. I mean, if mm-hmm. I were a teacher, that's definitely I would do. And um, yeah, it's centrally located too, so it's mm-hmm. really, too, and it's a Silver and Spring is a great neighborhood. It's a neighborhood. walk
0: from the metro in Silver Spring.
2: Yeah. And Silver around. Spring is like yeah. just such a nice neighborhood. I mean, I grew up...
0: Yeah, Claudia grew up, Claudia grew up in the Silver Spring area. So. Yeah. so it'll be it'll be good. I've never been disappointed at a Maker Fair that we've been to. Always seen something interesting.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think it'll be good right. for everybody. Yeah, yeah, if sounds everybody good. could come out, they yes. should come out. to it. Um, yeah, so that's what the show is going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't we tell everybody where they can find more about us?
2: Uh, you can find me at com or at cityecologist on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, and I've been posting stuff on Twitter, so yeah, so check me out,
1: Ray. Uh, yes, um, you have my YouTube channel, which uh, really is difficult because it's all gibberish as far mm-hmm. as the uh, the thing, so it's easier just to follow the link mm-hmm. in the description. Um, and then i have my facebook page where uh it's called the homemade lathes uh you know d- documenting and uh helping out people who are looking to build their own homemade lathes and there has been quite a bit of inter uh, of uh activity i don't know if you guys have noticed mm-hmm. there's been some uh new lathes going up from uh, some yes. of the members quite interesting uh there's a lot of stuff going on and it's from all over the world there are people from all over the world submitting a lot of uh photographs and videos and And questions and suggestions. So, if you're looking to build something uh, yourself, uh, that's probably a very good place to start. Mm -hmm.
0: And one of the things you do that I don't know if people know or not: whenever you find that lathe for sale in the area, you post it on there as well.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, you know these are some. uh, I concentrate on the homemade lathes Mm -hmm. uh, only because I find them more interesting. And uh, there's always it's amazing how many are out there that are you know 50 60 70 years old and they're great running shape so when i find them they're usually very reasonable i mean uh, it's it'd be more expensive to build one yourself than to buy uh, a homemade lathe that somebody built 50 years ago Uh, i find them on craigslist and sometimes i find them on ebay and yeah i do post links uh and there's one gentleman it's funny you should mention that uh my homemade lathe uh I, i have a transmission on it and you've seen it function. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's an infinitely variable mm-hmm. transmission that goes from 0 to 1,000 RPM. That on a woodworking lathe is unheard of. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever I've posted pictures or had my videos up, I get a ton of questions. Well, one gentleman uh, found a, a similar transmission and he, uh, from the links. I posted links from eBay for anybody that might have been interested. And he is building his own lathe in a similar fashion as, uh, as the one I built, uh, with an inf- infinitely variable transmission, which is, uh, it's it's awesome really, that somebody uh, is building one the same way, uh, mm, because cool. they'll be the only two like it. Yeah, That's yeah. very cool. It's very cool, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so people should definitely check out
0: that group if you're interested in any kind of lathing. lathing? Yeah. Or even any turn-in. homemade turn-in. tools. Turn-in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, any kind of turning, yeah. yeah.
3: yeah.
2: yeah. Just the way that people only like, share their stuff is so cool,
0: and yeah. I always like. Uh, mm-hmm. I like watching that. Cool, yeah. And uh, you can find me at City Aperture on Twitter, and that's also the name of my website. And uh, I'm starting, as we we're talking about, with the, with the documenting stuff. I'm also starting to put some stuff up on YouTube as far as stuff that I'm doing and whatnot. So, also at City Aperture, total City Aperture on YouTube. So, cool. Well, I mean, that's that's the show. We've done another one. Next week will be. Uh, much bigger show so yeah, please come out uh, or listen if you can't make it to Maker Faire
2: yep thank you everyone yeah,
1: thanks everyone for listening alright see you next time